0: Right, well, good morning, Three Circle Church. It's great to be with you guys this morning. All of our campuses that are joining us right now and our online community, welcome, everyone. We're going to continue today our Characters of Creation series. Basically, what we're doing, we're a Bible church. If you're new with us, we always teach the Bible. And so what we're basically doing is going to the first part of the Bible in the book of Genesis. And if you're new to church or new to holding a Bible in your hand, man, we are so glad you're with us or you're joining us online or at one of our campuses. And the way you get to Genesis, you go to the middle of your Bible and then take a left, all right, and then keep going all the way to the beginning. This is the first book of the Bible, and you may wonder how we got it. Well, the, God gave at Genesis to Moses, so Moses wrote these events down for us, and so we all need to know where we come from. It's why Ancestry.com is a big deal. We like to know our family tree, and so what we're trying to tell you is we believe at Three Circle, we believe the Bible. And we believe the Bible is true and that these are historical events. And the reason we look at Genesis that way, we don't see Genesis as a fable. We don't see Genesis as allegory that was kind of like these ideas that try to help us understand. No, we believe that these are real events and real people. And the reason we see Genesis that way is that Jesus saw Genesis that way. Jesus teaches us how to interpret the Bible. And he himself taught us that Adam and Eve... These people were real, not only him, but the apostles in the New Testament continue to teach Genesis as historical and real, so we do the same. And so we're looking at these first few chapters, and the first character of creation we looked at is creation itself, right? We said, look at this world that we live in. We call it a cathedral of the glory of God. To me, it's impossible to walk around this beautiful world that we're in and not see the fingerprints of God. And the Bible calls that idea revelation. It's God showing himself to us in a general way. But he has also been very specific with us through Jesus, his son, and through the word. So here's what we know from creation itself. God wants you to know him. Isn't that good news? That the God of all the universe actually wants us to know him and wants you to have a relationship with him. So last week we looked at God creating humans, the apex of his creation. And we saw that when he created Adam, we looked at Adam first, that he formed Adam out of the dirt of the ground. And, and, And there was no other part of creation that he did that with. So everything else he just spoke into existence. But when it came to Adam, he took his time. And he breathed life into that dirt, into the nostrils of Adam. And we get the first human. And we looked at all that that meant last week. And today we're going to continue this idea of the creation of humanity and we're going to look at Eve. And so let's go to Genesis 2, 18 through 23 and and, and get ready to do this thing as we look at the creation of not only Adam, but today Eve. Let's take a look at it. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. We learned last week that's a big deal because Adam was in a perfect garden, he had a perfect relationship with God, and God said, that's not enough. He needs human relationships, which means you and I do. Remember, we said as we look at Adam and Eve, we're seeing what humanity was meant to be. This is what it's supposed to look like. And so one thing that's a part of God's design for you as a human is for you to have human relationships. It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Remember, we said last week, Adam ended up naming the animals. He started off great and complex, rhinoceros, hippopotamus, giraffe, elephant. You can tell when he got tired, rat, cat, fly. You know, it's like, I'm done. But he named all the animals. That is a, that's quality, right? That's preacher joke all day long. I got more where that came from, guys, all right? And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field, but for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So God created tension. He showed Adam that all the rest of creation had relationships and sameness, but not not him, which created this tension. And verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept he took one of his ribs, and he closed up its place with flesh. We would say that this is the first surgery in human history and the first healing in human history. Right here, an interesting little side note, okay? And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at, la- at last, I love that, right? I remember when I asked Nan to marry me, and she said yes. I'm like, at last, right? Right? At last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now let's dive into this because now we have this amazing part of creation, woman. Now here's the thing as we dive into this. When I was a kid, first grade, uh, we did this thing back then called show and tell. You remember show and tell? We need to bring show and tell back to the church and, you know, I was the farm kid. I grew up on a, on a farm. And so I brought in, like, my toy John Deere tractor. And, and so I came in. And the first thing I did, though, is I, before I told them about it, and it wouldn't have been as great if I didn't have a little miniature John Deere tractor. I, I could have said, hey, my thing today is a tractor. But without having it there for them to see, it wouldn't have meant as much. But what I did is I showed them the tractor, then I told them about it. You know what we've done in the church We're looking at a world that has gender confusion and doesn't know what marriage should look like and doesn't know what human sexuality should look like. And what we're doing is we're just getting mad at them and we're telling them. We're jumping to tell and we're not showing. We need to bring show and tell back because the world can't just hear you telling them without us showing them. It's very important that in our churches we model for the world what this looks like. And it's why we need to know our origin story. What does biblical manhood and humanity look like? And today we'll see what biblical womanhood looks like. Matthew Henry is very helpful in this. Matthew Henry is a great Bible commentator from back in the day, and he had this great quote. I want to look at it. He said this, "'Eve was not made out of Adam's head to top him, but also not out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side.'" to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near to his heart to be beloved. I love that quote from Matthew Henry. And I want to just slowly give you a few examples here because, first of all, we need to model what it looks like. Listen, I will put all the cards on the table, and I don't know where you're coming from philosophically, but I think it's fair to you to make it clear that we're, we believe the Bible. So the Bible drives, not culture, not what we feel, not even what we like the best, all that. No, no, the Bible is our authority. And so we believe the Bible teaches, and we see it in Genesis, that gender is a beautiful, God-designed, God-given gift to us as humans. Gender, male and female, he blessed them. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. And what we see here is a beautiful equality between men and women. But we do believe here at Three Circle that God has given men and women different roles. In many ways, they are the same. They are certainly equal, but there's also distinctiveness. And we don't shy away from that. And why in the world would we shy away from something that we think is amazing and beautiful? So we want to show and model to the world this is what it looks like. Here's what it looks like for men and women to play their God-given roles. And also, this is what it looks like for men and women to not only love each other, but appreciate one another, right? And so the first thing we see is, and there's a lot of movements that would say, hey, women should be over men. And, and that's clearly not the case if we just look at the design that God had. I love that God chose a rib, okay? And and don't go down the road where so you know, you may have grown up here and wild things like that's why all men are missing a rib that's not true okay men aren't missing that's not how it worked God fixed all that but what we do see is this clear picture of the woman coming alongside the man the man does not uh is not over her or does not get trampled by her but they are together in this beautiful partnership and what we'll see is that all the things that God told Adam and Eve to do he told them together Subdue the earth together. Uh, Fulfill the mission of creation together. This is very important. And so we see here that God created us man and woman. There was this preacher I grew up with, and he used to say, you can tell that when Adam, the way we got woman, is when he saw her for the first time, he said, whoa, man. You know what I mean? And that's another corny preacher joke. It's always hit real well, okay? But I do believe today, and my hope today as we teach through this, is that we would begin to model for the world instead of shaking our fist at the world. Instead, say, hey, watch us do this. Watch us appreciate gender. Watch us model it. Watch us uh, uh, show the world what it looks like to interact with one another as brothers and sisters, as men and women, as husbands and wives for those of us who are married, to model for the world the celebration of biblical gender and the distinctives And the partnership between the two. Now, today we got a special thing because what I want is for this next section, I want you to hear what biblical womanhood looks like from someone who I think models it very, very well. She is the director of all women's ministries at Three Circle Church. And let me tell you, not only is she a brilliant theologian and teacher, but she's also a woman and my sister in Christ who does a really good job modeling for our church what biblical womanhood looks like. So you're going to get to hear right now. From our very own, Christy Sullins. Welcome her to the stage.
1: Well, good morning. It is always an honor to be with you. And when Pastor Chris and I talked about it, it it's like, absolutely. And not only can I do it, in the spirit of competition, I'll do it with one arm tied back. And we'll just see who does a better job. So, biblical womanhood. Could you think of a better way to start an early Sunday morning? It's an elephant in the room that we're just going to look at and go, every one of us, whether you are a man or a woman, have lived in a broken culture of gender your whole life. And the reason I know this is because I have lived in one my whole life. But it's important when we read the book of Genesis to remember who Moses was talking to. This wasn't to the group that was there pre the fall. When this is written, these stories, in my mind, he's teaching them around a campfire. It's not biblical, don't put that anywhere. But he's talking to the exiles that have come out of Egypt. He's talking to men and women who have been broken, whose value was set physically or what they could produce for the culture They were a people that had had every God-given design for men and women stripped away over generations of slavery. And all of a sudden, they were out. And God systematically gives Moses the words to go, all right, what we're going to do is we are going to slowly work away the cultural corrosion and we're going to start at the beginning. So he starts with setting himself up as the proper authority, the one over creation. Then he tells them, hey, this is how it began. But he doesn't give them a list of, hey, this is what men do. This is what women do. Now we move forward. Like Pastor Chris said, we're going to show you in Scripture how it was meant to be for God's people. So let's look at Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of heaven, over the livestock, and over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his image. In his image, he created them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. All right. You've got two people. They have no clue what they're doing. At this point, you know, the great debate, how did they even know? They had God. He was their source of wisdom. Have you ever thought about that? If you were the only two people left and you had no clue what you were supposed to do other than name the animals and care for the garden, how do you know how to live together? Who is there for your source of wisdom? It was God. He was their anchor point to know how to treat each other, how to live out their role. He was their source of wisdom. For you and I in this room, he is our source of wisdom. He is our starting point. Proverbs nine ten says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that's where they started. That was where Adam and Eve went to know what it meant for them to live as they were supposed to. Have you ever thought about that? They had no clue what they were supposed to do. There was just two of them. There was no group of girls trying to figure out how to make their um, husbands do what they want. There was no group of guys sitting around trying to figure out what was wrong with the women in their lives. They were, there were just the two of them and God. See, the starting point for biblical womanhood, it begins in the same place as the starting point for biblical manhood. It all begins with a fear of the Lord. Let's, let's make sure we all come to the, a good definition of the fear of the Lord because culture has given us too much context. So when you think of the fear of the Lord, do you have that idea in your mind of your parent like trying to swipe you from the front seat? Like that threat, that empty, you've pushed them too far and now you're gonna get it if you have to pull this car over. That's how that statement goes. The fear of the Lord is Awe. The fear of the Lord is a respect because we get who he is. He's the highest. He's the biggest. He's the creator. And because I know you are above all, I know I'm safe to submit to you. Fear of the Lord. That's why when the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it means when we see God right, then we can trust the next part because He's wisdom. So when we know the fear of the Lord, then what does it have to do with womanhood? If we had said we are teaching on womanhood today, there would be many of you that would think, oh, this is Proverbs 31, if you've been in church a while. Proverbs 31 is a beautiful Proverbs, but too often it has been pulled out as like a checklist. As a woman, I have heard many teachings about this is how I'm supposed to live my life. But remember how Pastor Chris said we let scripture show us? So let's let scripture show us what Proverbs 31 has to do with womanhood. Instead of culture telling it's a checklist, like I need to make my own bread, which I can't, by the way. I need to sew my clothes, I can't, by the way. Um, I, I can clean my house, but right now I'm batting one for three. But that wasn't Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31 was a song. It was a poem written by a mom to her son. For this is what I'm, the woman that we're praying for. And then afterwards, it was used as a celebration song on a Friday. And they still do it in the Jewish community where the men of the household would sing the words of Psalm, Proverbs 31 over the women of the house to praise them for the work that had come through that week. Can, if, if, if any of you are doing that as men, you are stellar. Trey Sullins is really behind. I have never been sung to on a Friday as a celebration for everything I've done. So maybe, maybe we could start the song. But at the end of Proverbs 31, you hear this woman who's teaching her son going, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. It's fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. What did she say that biblical womanhood wasn't? It wasn't charm. It wasn't our ability to impress the neighbors with the greatest house. It wasn't our ability to be the most impressive. Was it beauty? No. It all goes away. This is a a mother, an adult woman singing this song. She knows that that all changes. But a woman who sits in awe of God a woman who looks to him to define what her womanhood is. Now that is a woman to be praised. What makes this even sweeter is in the Jewish culture under, right? So for us, if you know your books of the Bible, it's Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. But if you look at the collection of the Jewish scriptures, it's Psalms, Proverbs, Ruth. Ruth. Ruth the biblical story that teaches us about a woman who was a widow. The biblical story teaches us about a woman who in poverty gleaned from the sides of the field. We know she was barren because scripture says that she was married for 10 years with no children. So what does scripture show us that biblical womanhood is not? Biblical womanhood is not your ability to bear children. Biblical womanhood is not your ability to get and stay married. Ruth is our show. Biblical womanhood is not your ability to have the biggest house, the most lavish setup. Scripture shows us. Biblical womanhood begins at the fear of the Lord, the right anchor to the Lord. So then where does that leave us? Great, I'm supposed to fear the Lord. We go back to scripture to show us. So go back to Genesis 126. Biblical womanhood means embracing that women are made in the image of God. We say that super fast. Yes, everybody's made in the image of God. How does that change the way you live? Manhood and womanhood. Suppose I had a Picasso propped up here. He's not my taste. I think it's weird. But it's Picasso. If I went to tear it apart, there would be somebody that screamed and go, You know how much that's worth. Why is it worth that much? Because we know the Creator we know the mark of the one that the creator, and the creator was a master, and so that made it a masterpiece whether it was my taste or not. Every human that steps on this earth was given life by one master creator. And that should color the way we approach everyone, the way men approach men, the way men approach women, The way women approach women, we can know that Pastor Chris is entirely wise when I say this right now and never him. Women, we are mean to each other. Somebody needs to say amen because we are mean to each other. This is not a lesson on how men should treat women. This is a lesson on how culture has shifted the way we treat each other. We Every human, whether it's the most difficult mother-in-law, the, the child that grieves you the most, the, 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 the deepest of irritations in your life are the greatest of celebrations. They are made in the image of God. Second, biblical womanhood means understanding that women have been equally redeemed into the kingdom of God. Paul says it best. There is neither Jew or Greek There is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Not only are we equal in who we reflect, for these people in this room, for every believer, we are equal at the foot of Jesus. It did not take more to redeem a woman. We are not more of a sin problem. We are not the reason that sin exists. We are equal. We are equally flawed. We are equally broken. We are equally redeemed. And for some of you, you may go, that's a no-brainer. Oh, but believe me, that is a sticking point for some people. So do you treat each other in the church as equally redeemed? I see you, you you are made by the same God. I see you, you were redeemed by the blood of the same Messiah. The third thing is biblical womanhood means living out the unique gifting that God has placed on her for his good work. Again, Paul says it, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Every person made in the image of God was designed for a work. And the funny thing is we don't get to determine what somebody else's gifting is. We don't get to determine the calling that somebody has. If you're a parent in this room, that actually goes for you too with the children you're raising. That's kind of a sore spot. If you are raising children, they were uniquely gifted and called to a role, which takes us back to the fear of God. Because I believe that God has gifted each and every one of us I'm gonna be able to submit to his rightness. And when I can't line up with the direction, instead of blasting them for what culture says is appropriate, we're gonna pause. And we're gonna go, okay, we were each made for a calling. We're gonna handle each other with this dignity. Because here's the thing, just like the people that Moses was teaching Culture is watching how we're different. And culture's even saying, why would you even follow God? It's misogynistic. Here's some beauty in that God. Too many of us believe that biblical times ran on its own time frame. When we have people learning about the creation of God, we had a whole Babylonian empire that was writing its own code of law. And no woman was covered in Hammurabi's law. No woman. No one had a right. And so the way we know that our God is as equally for them as he is for he and her is he went into Leviticus and he was like, this is the law and it will cover my daughters and my sons. And then he kept sticking women in the story. We have Esther, we have Ruth, we have Sarah, we have Deborah. We have little mentions of women in the New Testament and it says like Damaris in in Acts where she was saved. For our God meant for his church, we are a them. And culture is watching how this them handles each other. When it's hard, was it good? Are we turning back to the fear of the Lord because of I stand in awe of you, because I know you're greater than me, because you are above culture, I'm going to come to what your word shows me, and then I'm going to live that out in this world. So what we're gonna do right now is I, I just wanna pray over our congregation because what we know is you step into culture the moment you leave these doors. But culture's watching. What does it look like for us to live as a them right now? Let's pray. Father, I praise you, for you are the God who is worthy of our fear and our awe and adoration. And from the moment you set time into existence, you set us up as your them equally redeemed and beloved by you. For every woman in here, may they filter culture through the fear of you, of your awe, of what you say biblical womanhood is. May we teach our daughters and our sons that, that there is beauty, integrity in the them and that, that that is supposed to be guarded. For the, for the, for the men in this room, Father, I praise you. I praise you that we get to to work side by side, that we get to have unique callings, unique giftings, unique purpose, all filtered through the lens of our right holy view of you. May we be a people that operate as a them in a culture that would divide us. For it's in your name that I pray, amen.
0: Thank you, Christy. Wasn't that great, guys? We are so grateful for that. And so, Men and women in the room today and at all of our campuses, I hope that you have seen us model what we're, what we're believing Genesis had to say to us today. If you're a man in the room, I hope you were listening. I really do. Uh, and, and, and all the ladies at every campus, including this one, my, our prayer today was that you would leave encouraged. You know, we will end here. Uh, I want you to understand that there are these one another rules in the Bible. The New Testament's full of them. To love one another's, to be kind to one another's, to forgive one another's. Listen, the one another rules in the Bible apply to all human relationships. So there's not like a different set. So the way we should be treating one another as men and women, in our marriages, as friends. Like if you are a woman at Three Circle Church, you're my sister in Christ. I'm your brother. Congratulations. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, this is what it looks like. And listen, the show and tell we have to tell yes we got to put words to it but we need to show first we need to model for the world show them what it looks like that opens the door to get the chance to tell and that's what we want to do at three circle my prayer is today that we would philippians 2 3 i think gives us a great closing verse because it takes sacrifice to love one another well appreciate one another well model this well philippians says this do nothing Now, that is a very complex word. In the original language, the word nothing means nothing. Okay? That that was a joke. (laughs) Nothing. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. I cannot imagine a better place to start fulfilling that verse than us as men and women begin to appreciate the way God made us and then model that for the world. It's a real good place to start, but it's gonna require humility and selflessness to go, hey, I'm gonna appreciate you and the beauty and the wonder of how God made you so that we together can model for a world what this looks like. And our prayer is that in doing so, God is glorified and the kingdom of God is advanced. In this very world he's put us in to be lights in the darkness. We're not telling you that it's not dark out there. We're just telling you that, We're the ones that have to turn on the lights. Oh, it's easy to sit back and point at the darkness. Today, why don't we say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to turn on the lights. We're going to turn on the lights. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for this day that we've had. Help us as a church to model for our community and the world what this looks like so that we can get back to, uh, Lord, the way you intended it always to be. To your glory, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.